Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. That's how it goes, though. Summer solstice last week. Fourth of July is next week. Where's the time go? I feel like summer hasn't even started yet, and they're already winding down. But that's okay. Still got plenty of time to enjoy it. Thanks for spending some time this summer hanging out with us here on Nuanas Now. Hope you're having a great start to your week. I'm Coulter Nuanas, coming to you. The ESPN MT studio here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. Missoula Broadcasting, locally owned and operated for more than 15 years, and happy to say so. Missed anything in the first hour of the show? Went around the wide world of sports in Montana. Also discussed some things with the University of Montana Athletic Department, namely the indoor practice facility and the delay on the construction of that, as well as uh, the proposed raising ticket prices, uh, but sort of this, the details behind it. We'll follow up on that because I want to hash that out a little bit more uh, maybe with some of the decision makers down there at UM because you know I don't think it's any sort of nefarious money grab. I think it's just sort of the sign of the times. It's what you got to do, especially when your revenue model is built like Montana's is. So we'll maybe discuss that a little later on uh, this week. We also uh, paid homage to uh, an old friend and uh, a man gone too soon, Bo Beck, a uh, longtime assistant at Montana State, most recently coached at Colorado State Pueblo. Uh, he passed away over the weekend, and a guy that uh, will be remembered fondly for the wonderful defensive lineman that he coached there at MSU, but more importantly for the uh, the impact he made with his positive attitude on pretty much anybody. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met, one of the great storytellers uh, I've ever met. I, I got to find my external hard drive from my old computer because I, I just, I've had this computer since 2016. Coach Beck's last full season there at Montana State was 2015. So I, I got all my audio from him on another hard drive, which I'm in the process of moving and reorganizing. So I'm trying to figure that out. So we'll, we will find some sound from him. From once upon a time, but we gave uh, homage to the late Bo Beck. Uh, gone too soon. I uh, passed away over the weekend. Um, that was all part of the Montana Sports Hour presented by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot also proud to sponsor the Nuanas Now podcast, where you can find all that stuff from the first hour. Podcast also presented by the M Store, as well as the Montana State Bookstore. 
Andrew, Andrew Houghton, chiming in here uh, on Nuanas Now. <laughs> We're going to start this. I was looking for stuff to do on the show today, so I, I looked back on what we were talking about this exact time last year. But before we get to any of that, I got I got one that may seem like a very simple question in premise, but actually also might seem like a bombshell question when you actually think about it. Very easy. Who is the best coach in the Big Sky Conference in football right now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I was, th- I was thinking this because it, it would be uh, inflammatory to say Brett Vegan, although there's a very valid that was my case fir- there. That was my first thought. Well, totally. I mean, he's only in year three, but I mean, that, you know, 24 and four in his first two years, back-to-back semifinal appearances. It's hard to say. I mean, he is the head coach of the defending Big Sky co-champions. The reason the question's so intriguing is five coaches are gone from the Big Sky, yeah. all of whom had... Uh, I, I guess several of whom had legitimate resumes to, to be that. I mean, Troy Taylor, certainly at Sac State. Jay Hill, certainly at Weber State. Bo Baldwin, not necessarily for his time at Cal Poly, but he is one of the great modern era coaches in the big sky during his time at Eastern Washington. All three of those guys are gone. So I don't know. I, I just thought it was, you know. Then you got Jason Eck there in Idaho, who's only been there for a year. You got Bobby Houck, but he hasn't been able to get back to what he once was. It, it's a. Uh, it's a much more complicated question than how simple it might have uh, been a year ago at this time. Yeah, I I, I would have said Brent Vegan first. Uh, I think you can make arguments still for Bobby Houck. I think uh, Ed Lamb potentially has an argument if we're mm-hmm. talking about who just the best coach is. Uh, we'll, sure. we'll see what Northern Colorado does this year. Um, maybe Jason Eck has an argument too, yeah. there There are a lot of names out there. I'm so intrigued by Coach Lamb because he said, I thought very articulately on this show, he said, we, we built up Southern Utah and I knew exactly when the uh, the expiration date was going to be. And I, I thought that we were as good as we were going to be given the resources that we had. And that bared out to be true because Southern Utah made the playoffs three times in four years. They won the Big Sky title with Ed Lamb as their head coach in 2015 and then won it again with DeMario Warren as their head coach in 2017. And then they fell off. And they were a one- or two-win team for several years before leaving the Big Sky. But we always talk about, if you want uh, some fun podcast content, go to SkylineSportsMT.com or subscribe to the Big Sky Breakdown on any and all of your various podcast hosting platforms. Andrew and I did a podcast. We've had all five of the new Big Sky coaches on this radio show over the last six months or so. So we took all six of those interviews and we made a two-part podcast with including commentary on what are some of the biggest challenges of the Big Sky schools. But I, I do think that the, one of the common themes there is identifying the advantages you might have and then accentuating those advantages. Coach Lamb did that so tremendously well at Southern Utah. That 2015 team was littered with guys that had graduated high school six and seven years earlier. So this was in the pre-COVID days. This is when the only way that could happen is if your eligibility was interrupted by tragedy, military service, or religious mission. The third one was the reason Southern Utah was able to really maximize this. Coach Lamb, who's a BYU alum, he was able to get some of those missionary guys Basically, they would recruit guys that had been recruited by BYU and then went on their missions and then maybe didn't have a spot at BYU when they came back. 
So Coach Lamb would get those guys, and they conglomerated all together, and then all of a sudden you have this roster led by guys like James Kowser and uh, Matt Hawley and Mike Needham and these very veteran players, but then they also had this unbelievable talent that had nothing to do with uh, LDS missionaries, guys like Miles Killebrew and LaShawn Sims. Both those guys were draft picks. So I'm just so interested to see. At Southern Utah, Coach Lamb built the foundation based on the thing he knew best, which was uh, sort of Utah recruits, guys with ties to the LDS church, and, and you know, some of the interweavings with BYU, which is, why, by the way, where he left Southern Utah for was to go be the special teams coordinator there uh, at his alma mater at BYU. But then they also were able to just straight up recruit some of the most talented guys the Big Sky has seen. I mean, if you're getting guys that are getting drafted out of the secondary in the Big Sky, you're recruiting an unbelievably high caliber of player, and then you're also developing that guy at an unbelievably high level. Can they find a way to take advantage of that at Northern Colorado? Uh, we shall see. I also think it's a huge year for Bobby Houck, though. And, you know, that seems like low-hanging fruit. That seems like a complete understatement. But it is. I mean, Montana looked like they were uh, on the ascent. They were on the ascent. They won 10 games back-to-back years. They won playoff games in convincing fashion. You know, I know I know a lot of people were maybe dissatisfied with losing like they did in the quarterfinals at James Madison, but that James Madison team was just lights out. They were just really, really good. And uh, then to come into last year with the unbelievable uh, aspirations that they had, and then to have it end like they did. And now here you are coming into, uh, you know, this will be the first time Bobby Houck has coached the Grizz in the second iteration when his son is not on the team. It'll be, uh, it's a contract year for, for Bobby Houck and the Grizzlies. And there's so much hanging in the balance, both in the scope of the Big Sky Conference, but also the scope of the rivalry. We're on the precipice of Montana State really taking the rivalry and, and flipping it on its head. It was all Grizz all the time, from the mid-'80s all the way through the early 2000s, 16 in a row for Montana. Then it was a back-and-forth rivalry for about the next 20 years, but now here we are with the Cats having won five out of six. It's a huge year for the Grizz, starting with the Cats, but also in the scope of the Big Sky and then also in the scope of the landscape of the national FCS uh, sort of conglomeration. And then you also have Coach Auk uh, in a contract year, and he's also, you know, been doing this for a really long time. So what does the future hold? So um, I, I guess I would agree with you tentatively that the answer is Brent Vegan, but that Bobby Houck could re- re- uh, ascend to the top of this ranking if the Grizz can have a banner year. And I do think that maybe not having the expectations that they had a year ago might actually uh, help that uh, going into the 2023 season for Montana. Well, that's right. I mean, things are always shifting in this rivalry. I mean, each team has, has periods where they're on top, but it, it can change so quickly. Uh, certainly, that's what has to be on, on Bobby Houck's mind going into this season as Montana State started to pull away a little bit. I also think that adding to the intrigue for Montana this year is just what the team is going to look like, right? Yeah. And on the field, and, and not in terms of... You know, Robbie Houck not being there is is a huge loss just for the way that defense plays. I think the the defense is going to have no choice but to play and to look a little bit differently. For sure. And I think we're also going to see an offense that looks a lot different. I think I I I firmly believe that the offense will be different. Um I think that it's going to be a necessity for the defense to look a little bit different at least in terms of flexibility personnel-wise. 
if the defense doesn't look different and it isn't more flexible, I think that's going to be an issue for the Grizz this year. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think, and I think that's what comes with, uh, you know, the the talent dropping off a little bit. Not quite. I mean, that's not that's not an insult or anything. But you look at the, sure. what the Grizz had coming back last year. I they mean, had multiple first team All Americans coming back <laughs> for sure. I mean, when you have the all time leading tackler in the history of the Big Sky Conference, who's a four time All Big Sky safety in Robbie Houck, you got a guy who had I don't know forty five to fifty tackles for loss over the last three years, yeah. and Patrick O'Connell, who was you know, went healthy a three. I mean, I, I think he was two time first team all big sky, but I mean, certainly one of the best edge players in the league. And then you have the most prolific, productive corner in the entire conference, who's a first team all American two years in a row in Justin Ford. It's kind of, I mean, that sort of uh, accentuates why last year was such an unmitigated failure, Correct. right? Because you had such great talent. Well, and that's kind of what I'm pointing to. When you lose all those guys, sure. you can't look the same as you did last year. I think I think you're right. You got to be a little bit more multiple. You got to be a little bit more flexible. Here's here's one thing though that used to be true about Bobby Houck and the Grizz, and and they could prove this again this year. And if they did, I think it would be uh, to great returns for Montana. If you were to ask me, actually, what's the most talented team of the Coach Houck era? I would not say the 2004 team that went to the national championship. I would not say the 2008 or 2009 teams that went to the national championship. I would, in fact, say the 2007 Grizz that lost in the first round of the playoffs to Wofford was the most talented team because they had sort of the stem of the guys he inherited and the guys he helped develop from the first go-round and then all the guys that were like the Montana-made guys. But that 2007 team, they had Croy Bierman up front, they also had a litany of unbelievable linebackers. Shan Schillinger and Colt Anderson and uh, Eric Stoll. I mean, they had multiple All-American slash NFL guys in the secondary. Their quarterback, Cole Burkos, went to the NFL. They had two running, oh, three, in fact, running backs who went to the NFL. Justin Green, Lex Hilliard, and Chase Reynolds. Multiple NFL offensive linemen, Cody Baylog, Colin Dow, J.D. Quinn. I mean, they, they had... There was uh, Jimmy Wilson was in that secondary as well. He also went to the NFL. I mean, they had double-digit NFL players on that team. They went undefeated all the way to the number one seed, then lost to Wofford in the first round of the playoffs. What I'm getting at, though, is actually, if you go man-for-man talent-wise, some of the best teams in Bobby Houck's time at Montana were actually not the most talented teams. Like the 2009 Grizz that went all the way to the national championship, they certainly had some great players. Chase Reynolds was a you know, longtime NFL player. Mark Mariani... Great player for sure. But they were a sum of their parts a lot more. You wonder if that can actually happen again. If it can, um, text in from a loyal listener uh, about how I said that Cole Burkus went to the NFL. In fact, he played in the CFL for six years, but also he did go to the NFL. He went to training camp with the San Diego Chargers. Ended up getting beat out by Billy Volick. Had a decision whether he wanted to try, try to make the Chargers practice squad or go to Saskatchewan to be there with the Rough Riders. He ended up chosen to go up there with the Rough Riders. That started in a, a handful of years there in the Canadian Football League for Cole Burquist, a good friend of mine and a former uh, Montana quarterback. But the point, Andrew, is that sometimes those the defenses that, that are sort of a sum of their parts, when they're not—I I wonder this. Coach Houck loves— to prioritize a no-star system, right? But sometimes when you have guys that are such prolific players, they become stars even if you're not making them stars. 
I wonder if not having any stars actually makes it better. Like the fact that they don't have a Patrick O'Connell or a Justin Ford and Coach Howe can just say, hey, it's all for one, one for all. Nobody thinks we're going to be any good. Let's go prove them wrong. Is that better? Is that an advantage for the Grizz? It's an advantage. I don't, I, I'm not sure it's better. I think every coach in the country, That's even right. Bobby Houck, if you gave him a choice between having four All-Americans on defense or, or none, would take the All-Americans. But I think it could potentially be an advantage and, and certainly something that this year's team can key on. And it's not like, I mean... The thing with Montana, even if they're not star-studded at every level of the defense, the talent level on Montana's defense is certainly good enough anyway to be one of the top defenses in the FCS every year, particularly in this edition of the FCS. Oh, no, no, no doubt about it. And I mean, that's the thing is like, that's why Bobby Houck literally laughs when the reporters asked him, uh, for example, a couple of years ago, how do you re- replace Dante Olsen? And he's like, well... You don't have to replace this one guy. We have six of them, and that's exactly what they're going to do this year. Like, is there a Patrick O'Connell out there? I don't think so, but can you get 400 tackles from the six guys they're going to play at linebacker? You absolutely can, and I think that's what they're going to do. Yeah, the one issue there is you you cannot replace the shutdown corner. That's exactly right. You cannot replace him in the aggregate. And that is that is my number one question. We do, To circle all the way full circle here on this conversation, what does the defensive scheme look like under Ronnie Bradford now that Kent Bear has retired? I guess resigned, so to speak. I think he actually might resurface in a different capacity somewhere uh, long ways away from here. Stay tuned on that. But will the defense look any different in scheme and in strategy? If it doesn't look much different, then how do you replace the corners that you lost? That, that to me, w- w- this, that's been a common talking point over the last five years since I've been on ESPN Radio. When, they first, when this staff first came back, they first started running this three three five stack. Okay, you know, you're analyzing, okay, I'm starting to get it. There's all these stunts and pressures, and you're bringing the linebackers, you're bringing all this stuff all, all across the board. Okay, now you understand they got three safeties. It's three different positions. But the, the number one spot where Montana was able to make a tremendous jump defensively, because the first couple of years, it was a high-pressure defense, but it was a feast or famine defense. When you were, when you brought the pressure and the ball came out, you're getting torched. You're getting diced up. Whether that was you know in the sort of outside run game or in the passing game, Montana had a huge propensity to give up big plays. Well, then they added a couple of elite corners. They put a high priority of that on that in the transfer market. Whether it's Justin Ford or Omar Hicks Onu, that to me is the biggest question mark. The Grizz are going to be at the very least fine up front on the defensive line. They have one of the best players, interior, interior defensive linemen in Alex Gubner. They got a whole bunch of linebackers that are pretty good, including a couple like Levi Janicaro, Tyler Flink, that could be really good. And they're always going to have safeties. I mean... When's Montana ever not had safeties? They've always had great safeties. For my whole time living in Missoula since 1993, 30 years on and off, Grizz have always had good safeties. So, to me, it really does. And it comes down to those corners. When it comes to Brett Vegan affirming himself as the uh, the top guy in the league, I also think this is a huge year for him. The Bobcats got a target on their back. They are the defending Big Sky Conference champions. They're having to deal with uh, an, an unbelievable amount of off-season controversy. 
They've had both their offensive and defensive coordinators get DUIs in the last six or, I guess, eight months now, but in the span of six months, I guess it was five months apart for uh, uh, six months apart, I guess, for Willie Mack Garza in November, Taylor Housewright in May. How do you deal with all that? How do you deal with that controversy? If those guys are back in the saddle, then a lot of people within the court of public opinion are going to be very, very critical of you and your decision-making. And if you have bad publicity and then you start to slip in terms of competitiveness, then people pile on. If you got controversy and you keep winning, it's a little harder for people to pile on. For better or worse, I don't know if I agree with that premise, but it's a, it's a reality. That, that is a fact. So uh, I do think it's a huge year for the Bobcats because Brent Vingan inherited an incredibly talented roster that was coming off of basically a year off of football, so they were loaded for bear, ready to rock. They make the great run to the national championship game. Then last year, they proved they can do it again with a completely remade roster after losing one of the great senior classes in their school's history. But now where are we at? Can they do it again? I think it's going to look more similar to last year than it did between 2021 and 2022. When people know what you're doing, when they when they know you're going to run the outside zone, when they know you're going to run a two-quarterback system, when they know some of the strengths and weaknesses of the the defense that you play and the coverages that you play, and they can attack you, but also when they know that you are the top dog, you are the defending Big Sky Conference champion, you got the X right on your back, how do they handle that? That's going to be the biggest question mark for me for Montana State. All of that is true, and to go back to the original question, Here's why I was thinking that Brent Vegan's the top coach in the league because I think with all of that, they're still going to be fine, and a lot of that is due to the confidence that I have in the guy at the top and, and what he's done the last couple of years. And yep. even with all that, I mean, they have a, a ton of talent returning. Having both quarterbacks for sure coming back is just such a huge advantage over... And also having two up-and-coming quarterbacks within your program, too, For sure. Right? I mean, there's an embarrassment of riches at quarterback at Montana State, which is hilarious considering they didn't have a freaking quarterback for, like— I mean, they they switched a NFL draft pick linebacker to quarterback. Right. They were so thin to quarterback. That was five years ago. It's crazy that they now have at least three, if not four, quarterbacks that potentially could play. Yeah, everybody in the conference, just about everybody in the conference, has got a young and up-and-coming quarterback. They've got two guys who have, have played— right. In important and and very right. pivotal and close FCS games, they've been there and done that. I mean, Tommy Malata, an all-conference player, and Sean Chambers was the newcomer of the year in the league. I mean, they are proven commodities in the big sky, for sure. That's just, you're starting so far ahead of everybody else in the league because you have that? For sure. I mean, uh, everybody except Idaho, I guess I should say, but, right. but even then. Uh, so well, that's, that's huge. The other, the other part is that, as we've seen in the big sky, it, there's such a high chance that your quarterback's going to get hurt. Right, we don't wish that That's upon right. anybody, but but especially in the Big Sky, you're almost certainly going to have an athletic guy that runs around. Right, think right. about think about what you, the prospects of and the attitude around Idaho's season would be, though, if Javadi McCoy suffered an injury that was going to put him out a month early in the season. That's right, you're, I don't know what Idaho has as a backup I mean, quarterback. We've seen it in Montana. For sure. I mean, look look at last year when Lucas Johnson got knocked out. It's like, well, the sky's falling. What are we going to do? I mean, whatever the heck they tried to run on offense at Weber State, that was not college football yeah, <laughs> offense, right, right. right? This is not. That's where the Bobcats have such a strong footing is 
they had both of those guys get knocked out of games and miss significant time last year. And as long as one of the other ones was healthy, they were good to go. That gives you such a huge advantage in the Big Sky Conference, especially because there's so many great athletes running around that this put themselves in harm's way more often. That's exactly right, and I also think that um, Sebastian Valdez coming back on on defense is such a huge starting point for them too, for sure. right? Yeah, I mean the, the the Cats they have they they've taken a significant uh, hit defensively in terms of talent. But that's because Brent Vegan's an offensive coach that took over for a defensive coach. I mean, Jeff Choate had all sorts of strengths and weaknesses. Recruiting defensive talent is the greatest strength that Jeff Choate had. They were stacked defensively, uh, especially when Brent Vegan took over. But then to be able to be at least respectable defensively last year after losing Troy Anderson and Daniel Hardy and Chase Benson and all these unbelievable players, uh, a true testament uh, to just just the uh, the order of operations there at Montana State. Uh, more Big Sky discussions coming up. Andrew, you look shocked. What is, uh, what's going down on the uh, the computer screen? College World Series, Game 3, winner take all. <laughs> okay. Uh, we will get an update on the College World Series, winner take all, right after this. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm. When it comes to criminal defense, what's an example of why someone could or should call Schulte Law? Criminal defense happens on somebody's worst day, you know, and it doesn't mean that someone's a bad person. We all make mistakes. We all make choices that maybe aren't the best choice, and that can lead to dramatic consequences in somebody's life. So we're really focusing on personal injury and criminal defense. We do a lot of different areas of the law, though. We have a strong background in real estate. Um, We handle family law for clients, ton of mediations. The ultimate reality is, is that people have bad days, and that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want. If you've had a bad day, visit jschultilaw.com. This is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. This song will always remind me of my... Move back to Missoula. When I first left in uh, 2010, I guess early 2011. No, I, I left in 2010. That's right. Live in Ellensburg, Washington. Then I moved back to Montana to Bozeman, 2011. Then lived there full time till 2017. And then that summer in 2017, got the opportunity to move back to my hometown, at least in a part time capacity. And now we're finally back here full time, and uh, it's great to be back. But that song. Uh, was a, a big hit that summer, and it was always remember, remind me of being back uh, in the zoo. No one is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. The College World Series. Rolling. <laughs> I must say, I was following along when LSU and Wake Forest were playing an epic game. There was a 0-0 tie that went to extra innings. But then I was gone all weekend. I did not, I I, I will say, 
I was at a family funeral. We were not on, uh, there was no TVs or phones or screens anywhere. I, I was just talking to my cousins and my family. And uh, so I have no idea. I have no clue what's going on right now in the College World Series. Andrew, we're in game three. Give us an update. Game three of the finals, that is. Game three of the finals. So this is LSU and Florida. Uh, Florida's starting pitcher, who's a two-way kid, he's a freshman, so he's a year out of high school. He throws 96 to 98 and also hit 33 home runs this year. So he's starting pitching and hitting third for them in the clinching game of the College World Series. Plunked the first LSU guy with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball in the back on the first pitch. Got out of the inning, then in the bottom of the inning, Florida's Wyatt Langford, uh, who's likely going to be a top-three pick in this year's draft, uh, yanked a home run just inside the left-field foul pole, so it's 2 nothing, Florida in the top of the seventh now. Uh, the other two guys who are likely going to be top-three picks in this draft play for LSU. Wow. Uh, so that's the kind of uh, caliber of series that we are dealing with here. Is that is that rare to have multiple top five type picks that are playing college? No. No. It's rare to have them on the same team. Right. To uh, have them all in the world's in the college world series championship, right. Correct. Yes. Generally uh generally it's pretty well split between college and, and high school in the draft. Uh, a lot of teams, especially at the top of the draft, unless there's a, a real, real can't-miss high school kid coming out like Jackson Holiday was last year. Uh, that's Matt Holiday's kid, by the way. Wow. Uh, tend to go with the, the college kids. So uh, Pittsburgh took Henry Davis from Louisville the year before last. I mean, guys like Casey Mize, Spencer Torkelson, who came out back-to-back uh, to the Tigers. And so this year... Uh, it seems likely that the top three will all be college guys. Have you seen Andrew Houghton chiming in here on Nuanas now? Have you seen the Captain, the Derek Jeter docu series? No. <laughs> what is your aversion to it? I, I think it's probably the same as mine. I just don't have that much time in the day. <laughs> uh, there are, uh, See, my, there are also aver- other sports documentaries that are going to be more interesting to watch. I mean, I think we both like like. Something like the Shaq doc that you've been talking about, because yeah. at least there's a little bit of complexity to his character. For sure. I, I was so averted to it because I was... It's the same thing why I haven't watched any of The Man in the Arena, which is... The Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah. I know that Tom Brady is great. I don't need to see that Tom... You know, it just seems like a, a self-congratulatory... And I, I mean, make no mistake, all these things are... But I don't know. I, I guess it's more palatable to me to watch a Michael Jordan documentary where he's just stroking his own ego. That's 25 years after it happened rather than, you know, I mean, how long has Derek Jeter been retired? Five or less years, right? Tom Brady dropped this documentary before he even really was fully retired. That seems a little bit exhausting to me. Yeah, and guys like, uh, you know, Jeter and Tom, like, Tom Brady produced that documentary series about himself. <laughs> exactly. Like, he has, a, he has a vested interest in letting in as much complexity as makes him seem interesting and exactly no more, right? That, that's right. So you're you're never quite sure that you're getting the full story. And Jeter is another one of those guys whose just public image has been so carefully 
polished and buffed yeah. over yeah. years and years of dealing with the New York media and being America's golden boy and uh, the last face of baseball or, or whatever. Anyways, I was so averted to it. But I decided, okay, what is the only part of the Derek Jeter story that I don't know very well? Well, it's the beginning part. I know all of the parts of the Derek Jeter story when he was the 20-year-old starting shortstop for the New York Yankees, and then he won a World Series when he's 21, and then all of a sudden he went on to win, I don't even know how many, four or five World Series titles and you know 3,000 hits and Golden Boy, all that stuff. That has been so much a part of the public eye, and he was so much the face of not only the New York Yankees but the face of baseball for you know most of my childhood all the way through my entire teenage years. So I knew all about that. I watched the first episode of The Captain, though, because I didn't really know much about his upbringing. I knew he was from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and that was it. I didn't really know like how he came about, what sort of prodigy that he was. I didn't know the whole part about how he was obsessed with the New York Yankees since he was five years old, and he wore a New York Yankees gold chain <laughs> for pretty much his entire life. The reason I remembered all this, though, is because Derek Jeter was supposed to be the number one overall pick out of high school in 1993, he was not. He fell all the way to sixth. It's just amazing the way that sometimes those sorts of things happen and the impact that they have, right? You wonder, what if Kobe Bryant wouldn't have fallen all the way to 13 and then the Lakers could have traded for him? Would Kobe Bryant have been Kobe Bryant if he would have been a Charlotte Hornet or if he would have been all these other things? What if Derek Jeter was drafted by the San Diego Padres. He probably would have been pretty good, but would he have been the captain? Would he have been Derek Jeter? It's just interesting to think about all that kind of stuff. I also was just cracking up, though, watching the, the video from the 93 draft and, like, the way that they, they got the picks. It's, like, on a walkie-talkie, and a guy is, like, transcribing it into a notebook. It just seemed like it was from completely bygone era. I mean, the MLB draft not too long ago used to be just completely conference call between the teams. It's not like the the NFL draft where you got all the big war rooms there with all the teams. It used to literally just be the teams on a conference call wasn't wasn't televised or anything. Exactly. And and like watching the picks fill in on the like MS DOS yellow writing on right. the computer. It's like Jeter, comma, Derek. It's like typing it out. Kalamazoo, Michigan. <laughs> this seems like it was a hundred years ago, even though it was only thirty years ago. Nuana's now uh, ESPN radio. Uh, LSU on the board. So top of second, Florida's up two to one, but the uh, Tigers just scored. So uh, we'll keep you up to date. Uh, what's going on here uh, in the College World Series? Are you into this? Are you a College World Series guy? Not really. I like following these guys who potentially might get drafted. Yeah. Uh, I don't watch a ton of college baseball. This year, I think it, it's grabbed me a little bit more. I think possibly because it's just been so available on ESPN Plus. For sure. Uh, which I have and which I like. Well, yeah. it's sometimes, too, you know, and I, you know, I hate admitting this, but it's true. When you have a sport that you you fringe follow and some of the best teams don't advance in the tournament, like I would have been much more inclined to watch way more of the Stanley Cup playoffs if this Boston Bruins team that had the all-time greatest record in the history of the NHL would have been on this quest for the Stanley Cup. And all of a sudden they're in the Eastern Conference Finals and they're trying to cap this epic year. But instead they lost in the first round. A lot of times in this tournament format... The best teams get knocked out before this. This is cool, though, because this LSU team already beat the best team in Wake Forest, but they're playing now the second-best team in Florida. You have two of probably the three best teams in college baseball playing for the title. That's great theater. 
Yeah, it, it's worked out really well this year. And, of course, it works out really well because both of these teams have huge fan bases. For sure. So the stadium in Omaha is just, like, completely full of the blue and orange and then the the purple and gold. And you've got all these people. They're having a good time. Uh, it just seems like a party. So it seems like that's worked out well for the College World Series this year. But, yeah, I've, I've never had such a huge connection. You know, I... Never really had a team that I rooted. Like right. you don't really grow up rooting for a college baseball team unless you live in in Gainesville or Baton Rouge or uh, Charlottesville. I mean, I grew up close to Charlottesville, and Virginia's been good forever. But I just never never got attached to them. So I, I've I've followed it, but not heavily and not fanatically. No one is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Judgment Day on Friday. What does it all mean, if anything? Plus, what does Victor Webanyama have to do to fulfill expectations? That's next. Keep it right here. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. One, two, three. Nuanas Now on ESPN Radio. Happy Monday. Hope you're having a great start to your week. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Here on ESPN Radio, you're listening to Nuanas Now. Coming to you live from the ESPN MT studio here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company. Missoula Broadcasting, locally owned and operated for more than 15 years and happy to say so. Uh, thanks so much for all the support over the years, as you always have. If you're a loyal listener, we really appreciate it. Uh, really proud of my team after this last weekend. The EB Craney Awards, the Radio and Television Broadcasting Awards for the state of Montana. They played out over the weekend. And uh, we were able to claim sports coverage of the year for the fourth time in the last five years. Really appreciate the contributions of both Andrew Houghton and Jeff Safford uh, to reclaiming that trophy. We were second place last year. That was the first time we hadn't won it since I've been at ESPN Radio, and I really put a high priority on winning that thing. So uh, appreciate those guys for the support. <clears throat> and uh, also humbled and honored to be the Montana Radio Sportscaster of the Year for the third year in a row. And uh, we couldn't do it without an audience to broadcast to every day. Victor Webanyama was the number one overall pick in the NBA draft on Thursday night. We have not been on the air since Thursday. Then in the back and forth between who was going to go second, Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller uh, wins out. He goes second, and then Scoot Henderson goes third. There's going to be some dominoes that fall from that for sure. But I think it's hilarious because Victor Weminyaba was like minus 20,000 on the betting odds. It was like all the hype before the draft was about this kid. And then the draft happened and all the hype was about everybody else because now begins this arduous task of fulfilling expectations for Victor Weminyaba. When when pundits who are NBA experts are proclaiming you as the greatest draft prospect in National Basketball Association history, that's some pretty lofty expectations, and I don't really know how one fulfills those unless you go on to become you know, like a surefire Hall of Famer. I was trying to think, though, the, the reason this is such a tenuous situation for Victor Webb and Yama is, first of all, in 2023, with how much exposure you can get at such a high level on so many different avenues, that's a lot for a young person to handle. Now, he's certainly been groomed for this. He was raised in this this world, so he doesn't really know anything different. 
So he might be more adequately prepared to to figure it out. But the, the, the number one outlier here is just Victor Webanyama himself, more specifically, how huge he is. He posted a picture with David Robinson, Manu Ginobili, Tim Duncan, and uh, one other former San Antonio Spur. I can't remember who. And, I mean, David Robinson is one of the most pro- impressive physical specimens in the history of professional sports. They call him the Admiral for a reason. I mean, the guy is cut out of, he's chiseled out of stone. He's an unbelievable physical specimen. Tim Duncan, I mean, Tim Duncan's just, you know, cool seven feet tall. This picture is ridiculous. Webin Yama is like more than a full head taller than, than David Robinson and Tim Duncan. That's why he has this proclamation as this unique, one-of-a-kind, unicorn-type talent. Some of that's justified. The issue is that there's really no sample size of somebody of Victor Webinyama's height being able to s- sustain and stay healthy for a-, a huge duration. Now, Andrew, I got a question for you. Is Yao Ming in the Hall of Fame? And if he's not, will he be? Yeah, yeah, I think he, I think he is, it, but it, certainly he will be. He, he will be for sure. Uh, um, you know, Yao Ming is is sort of he, he was it, he was so big and so skilled. Is he in? In in April 2016, Yao was there elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, Yao Ming was certainly one of the best players in basketball before he got hurt, and then he got hurt, and then it was kind of just all over. So to me, that, that's why I think a lot of the the uh, expectations for Rick and Webinyama come with a great assault just because there really isn't a sample size for anybody like him. Now, to be fair, he's nowhere near as heavy as guys like um, Yao Ming or Mark Eaton or guys of other similar size. He's much more slight. We just don't really know. There's no there's no sample size of a guy that's seven six that plays on the perimeter like him. He is a one-of-a-kind guy. What do you think of just the the expectation that is heaped upon this kid? Well, that's the question, right? I think the expectations are unavoidable when sure. you are that big. You can move like that. And not to mention, I mean, Victor Wembanyama just wrapped up his season in the French League, taking this sort of uh, unheralded French pro team to the finals. Yes, uh, of the French League, which is not, like, a great league, but it's also, like, the competition there is, is pretty high. It's probably For higher sure. than, like, most college basketball teams. For sure. Uh, so, already a good start there. So They also had another top 10 pick on this to team. To the Wizards. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. That I was sitting there thinking, okay, so two of the nine best NBA prospects were on the same French team. Yeah. And they didn't win the championship. They didn't win the French League. Well... The the team they lost to had a bunch of like guys who have played in the NBA or like yeah. are NBA level guys. Well, you they, know? they also were. This whole deal was, and Brian Windhorst, uh, his appearance on the Bill Simmons podcast was what taught me this. But um, this team was built first and foremost to nurture Victor Webb and Yama and get him ready for the NBA. It, its intention was not winning. The fact that they actually Correct. were the runner-up was sort of the byproduct of that and also sort of a, a feather in the cap because they weren't trying to necessarily build a championship team. They were trying to boost up Victor Webb and Yama to make sure he was ready for the NBA. Yeah, and they ended up putting him in a, in a really good situation with getting to play like high-level playoff games his last season there in France. Uh yeah, I think that the health question is is the big one, right? I think that so far everything has come up well for Victor Wembanyama from the way that 
he has approached his career, the support that he has had, uh, not only from this team in France, but but also from his parents, from his family. Uh, I think that the situation in San Antonio with, you know, who knows how much longer Greg Popovich is going to be around, but I, whoever replaces Greg Popovich eventually is going to be somebody from the same coaching tree. Okay. Yeah, probably. I mean, his coaching tree is so prolific now. Right. I, yeah. I, I think that's hugely important. They obviously have experience dealing with, with players of this caliber. I think that he's not a guy who's going to be mentally overwhelmed by the expectations. I think he probably accepts that his role in the NBA next year is not going to be what it eventually is. I think probably next year he's, he is going to struggle on offense. For sure. Particularly if the Spurs don't... Uh, bring in a point guard who can get him easy shots. They don't have anybody like that on the roster right now. So I think if he's creating offense and and taking step-back threes and stuff next year, he's going to struggle. I think he recognizes that, though. For sure. He's going to struggle on defense, too. I do think that he's going to be able to be above average to elite rim protector instantly. The reason I know there you he, go. The reason I know he's going to struggle on defense, though, is just because he's never done it. Like teams are going to be. He's he's played defense at a high level of basketball. Sure. Every time they play, the Spurs play a team that has a ball dominant guard. He will be switched on to them. And even if you can make a difference defensively, you still can never learn how to guard James Harden in the high pick and roll until you have to do it. So it's going to be fascinating to watch the kid try to take his lumps because he's going to absolutely certainly have to. But here's the thing, though. Who's one of the coaches in the league that you would most trust to draw up schemes to get him out of that as much as possible? Oh, no, 100%. Popovich for sure. No doubt. And the other thing is, I think he's just like, I mean, he's not like uh, a regular big man coming out, right? He's, yeah. he's that big. I mean, even if he gets switched, even if James Harden blows by him, he's bothering that shot, right? Well, that's the thing. The, the dude is so tall, he can touch the rim standing flat-footed on the ground. Has that ever been the case for anybody in the history of the NBA? I think, like, Sean Bradley took <laughs> yeah, a famous right. picture like that, or, right, like, right. Manu, Manu right, Bowl. Right. Or... And Sean Bradley can barely reach down to tie his shoes. You know, like, Sean Bradley was an impactful NBA player without having any discernible basketball skill. Yeah, Victor Webanyama has tremendous basketball skill. That's why he's so hyped. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. We're running out of time, so we're not going to get much time in on uh, all the other stuff I wanted to talk about, including San Diego State and their deadline coming up on Friday. And they have announced that they're divorcing the Mountain West. They've already submitted their letter of res- resignation. Where are they going? Are they actually going to pull the trigger? The deadline's Friday, so we'll discuss some of that tomorrow. I also must uh, express some vindication when it comes to the NBA draft. Remember when I said that Drew Timmy's not going to play in the NBA or that he has that he would be a liability in the NBA? Drew Timmy, who was a great player at Gonzaga, went undrafted uh, in the NBA draft. I don't know. I don't know what else to say besides I told you so. It, I just think it's a huge disconnect for people. They see guys ripping up March Madness. Who's the center for UConn? He also went undrafted as well. What's his name? Remind me of his Adama name. Adama Sanogo. Adama Sanogo. He was man against boys. He also went undrafted. So I think that's the disconnect for people. Why are there 19-year-olds that go in the top three and who didn't really do anything? Why are there guys that were dominant college players? Who knows? We'll be back at it tomorrow. Regular Tuesday lineup. We'll see you then. Nuanas now. ESPN Radio. 
Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 